Let's turn in our Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, where we started last week as we take some time here over the next couple of weeks to consider the purpose of Christ's coming. Luke chapter 4 and verse number 18. The setting is Jesus in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth being asked to read from the scriptures. And he asked them to bring to him the scroll of Isaiah. And he opened to a place in Isaiah and he read this passage, which would have been familiar to all who were gathered around. In verse number 18, Luke chapter 4, the scripture says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus said about this passage, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Jesus was clearly taking for himself this messianic prophecy, which was made hundreds of years before, and was pointing the attention of the people to himself and claiming to be the anointed one, the Messiah who was chosen by God to come. And, of course, part of his coming is described here in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Last week, we talked about how Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor. And we were reminded about the fact that this poverty is a spiritual poverty. And truly, all of us start out in a place of spiritual poverty because we are sinners. In other words, all of us are in need of what Jesus came to bring. And we contemplated that as Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor, he came to heal those who are brokenhearted. What a, what a fabulous thought. Those who are trampled down. Those who are completely crushed by sin. Jesus came not just to glue the pieces back together, but he came to bring wholeness and healing. This morning, with this thought in mind of Jesus' purpose in coming, we want to now contemplate in the morning message today the, the phrase, the next phrase in verse 18, where it says that Jesus came to preach deliverance to the captives. Deliverance to the captives. Jesus came intending to preach deliverance to people who were captive. And you might ask the question this morning, captive to what? Was, was he going to prisons or concentration camps? Was he going to find people who'd been locked up by the law to tell them that deliverance was available? No. What you'll find in Jesus' ministry is that he was preaching to normal people like you and me, but he was preaching with the purpose of proclaiming deliverance to those who were captive. I want you to consider with me just for a few moments this morning what it means that Jesus came bringing and preaching this deliverance. And first of all, we need to consider what it means to be captive. What is the nature of our captivity? Because most of us would be prone this morning, if we were thinking about this in a physical sense, we would say, well, I'm not 
in jail. I, I'm not restricted in any way. I live in a free country. I'm not a captive in my house. I, I'm, not under, I'm not even under house arrest. I, I'm free from the law. I'm able to go out and, and do the things freely that I want to do. But clearly what Jesus is speaking about here is not a physical captivity. He's speaking about a spiritual captivity. And when we consider the fact that as sinners against God, we are captive in our sin, we begin to understand more fully the purpose of Christ's coming. I'm reminded this morning, for instance, that our captivity to sin and in sin is a complete and utter captivity. It is a captivity that touches every part of our lives. If you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, hold your place in Luke 4, because we'll come back to this passage a little bit later. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we are going to turn and look at a number of verses. 2 Timothy 2.26 says something very interesting about the captivity that people experience, the spiritual captivity And it's set in the context of how we should present the gospel, how we should help people to be set free. But he says this in verse 26, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Notice this last phrase, who are taken captive by him at his will. In other words, it's it's something that is unavoidable. It's something that this is what the devil is doing in the world. He's taking people captive. And you, you might ask the question, well, how is he taking them captive? Is he hiding behind bushes and jumping out and grabbing them? No, we find that his method is the same as it was in the Garden of Eden. And his method always starts with the question, yea, hath God said? He is a liar and the father of it. And he takes people captive at his will by deceiving them and causing them to think that they're believing the truth when actually what they're believing is the furthest thing from the truth. But remember, we're, we're talking about the idea that this captivity is, is one of... Uh, it's a complete captivity. It's an utter captivity. And when people are captivated by Satan, they're in a bad place because they really believe the things that they believe are true. And they're completely caught up in those beliefs. And they think, no, I I absolutely am right. And they don't even realize that they are captive in their sin. Hebrews 2, turn over there. We're not far from it. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us a little bit more about this captivity or this bondage. Verse 15, it's speaking about Jesus and what he came to do. It says that he came to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You say, what is the nature of this captivity? Well, it's closely tied, this captivity is closely tied to a fear of death. And you say, well, there's lots of people who aren't afraid to die. Well, first of all, I beg to differ. I think people learn how to cope with the reality of death. They put it out of their mind. They ignore it. They pretend like it's not so... But death is still a fearful thing, and it still plays in the back of people's minds. And because of that fear of death, people are subject to bondage. And you say, well, you know, there's lots of people around me who seem to go about their life and they live. They're not afraid of death. They're not worried about dying. They're not really thinking about it. No, but you think about 
some of the modern philosophy, the common things that people believe today, like, hey, listen, you only get one life to live, so live before you die. Just enjoy your life because this is all you get. What is that? It's really the fear of death. People are saying, I'm going to die, so I need to live out my life as much as I can before that comes. I've got to live it up and enjoy my life because that's all there is. It's really a fear of death that's playing in the background. All their lifetime, people are subject to bondage. Even in Galatians chapter 4, turn back there with me, thinking about this captivity, Galatians chapter 4, of course, this epistle in Galatians is addressed to believers and it's talking about those who have been set free from sin, but it's reminiscing about what happened before they came to Christ. And it says there in Galatians 4, 3, even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. And you say, what is that, what is that talking about being children? He's not talking about when they were younger but he's talking about them being children of Abraham. They were children of the covenant. They, they were, uh, by name, the people of God, and yet they didn't have a relationship with God. They hadn't yet come by the way of Christ. And because of that, he says in verse 3 that they were under bondage or in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, it, we're told that the elements of the world in 1 John chapter 2 are the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And so he's looking back and he's saying, you know, there was a time that even though we were religious, even though we had the Bible, even though we knew the truth, even though we knew what it meant to to worship God, we were still in bondage because the elements of the world ruled in our life. Is this not a description of the world in which we live? People are absolutely dominated and ruled. That is, they are captive to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There's no other explanation for why men and women live the way that they do, why they pursue the things that they do, things that are completely contrary to the law of God and harmful to themselves, and yet they want those things so badly, and they are dominated by the elements of this world. Can you remember when that was true in your life? When you were dominated by the elements of the world? Even believers struggle with this flesh that we have. Even though we're saved and even though we know the Lord, we still have a struggle against sin. And in Romans chapter 7, verses 23 and 24, Paul describes this struggle for a believer as a law. He says, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And he concludes with this question in verse 24, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, if you know your Bible, you know that in the next verse, he answers the question. He answers the question by putting the attention on Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who delivers us from the body of this death. But even as believers, we still have a grappling with sin. We're not in captivity to sin like we were before we met Christ, but sin is all around us. Temptation is a reality. It's something that we struggle with. What I'm pointing out to you is that outside of Christ, people are captive to sin. Are you paying attention to what is going on in our world? I mean, just walk around in society. Go, go people watching. 
go to the mall or go to a place where people congregate and, and just pay attention, watch, observe, listen to the things people say, listen to the things that they want out of life. And you start to realize that most people are living for this world. They're living for pleasure and for lust and for the things that will satisfy and make them feel good. And they are in captivity, literally in bondage to those things. They couldn't stop if they wanted to. Sometimes they do want to and they can't stop. The nature of our captivity is it is an utter and complete captivity. Now, remember, Jesus came to preach deliverance to those who are in captivity. The second thing I want you to consider about our captivity is that it is, generally speaking, an unrecognized captivity. Turn to John chapter 8 with me real quickly. In John chapter 8, Jesus addressed this. I was going to use the word phenomenon, but it's not a phenomenon. It's a reality. It's the normal state of man. In John chapter 8, verse 33, Jesus was speaking to them about how the truth could set them free. A a beautiful statement, actually, one that we cling to. And here's their answer in John 8, 33. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? This is their answer to Jesus. What are you talking about? We're free people. I think this is probably how most Americans feel. If you approached them and told them that they were in captivity and needed to be delivered, they'd say, what are you talking about? I, I'm, a, I'm a free citizen of a free country. I, I live my life. I don't understand what you're saying. And you try to reason with them and point out how sin has made them captive. And here's their answer. I I do whatever I want to do. I mean, isn't that freedom? That's what people think. They think freedom is doing whatever you want to do. They don't realize that doing the things that you want to do leads into bondage most of the time. We actually shouldn't be living doing the things that we want to do. There are things that we ought to do. And true liberty spiritual liberty is being put in a place where we can do the things that we ought to do instead of the things that we want to do. Have you, have you not experienced in your life that so many of the things that we want to do end up bringing hurt and destruction into our own lives? They, they end up putting us in a place where we're reaping consequences in our life and we wish, I wish that I hadn't done that. I wish that I hadn't participated in that. So these men, they were in captivity. They did need to be set free, but they didn't even know it. They didn't recognize it. And when Jesus spoke to them about it, they were offended that he would say they were in captivity, just like many people today. People say things like this. I can quit anytime I want to. Can you? Oh, sure. I, can. I, I know that I can. I, I'm not convinced of that. Because actually, what we find is that people are captive to their sin. Look in John 8, 44. We're still in John 8. Why does this happen? Well, again, to point your attention to the reason behind this, Jesus says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. You say, why are people ignorant to the fact that they're in captivity? You would think that if you're in prison, if you're, if you're in bondage, that you would know it because the God of this world, Satan, the enemy of man's soul, he is a really good liar. And he's so good at convincing people while they're in prison that they are actually free, that they believe his lies. And they go along with it, and they actually participate in his lies and make themselves more and more and more in bondage. Jesus described it for us, but most people are not interested in hearing this. They say, oh, I'm fine. There's, there, there's no captivity. I, I'm just living the life I want to live. I, I, I'm, I'm free. I can, I can do whatever I want. Oh, can you? I doubt it. This is an utter and complete captivity, and it's a captivity that is a mystery. It's, it's, it, people are ignorant of it, but it's also a hopeless captivity. And turn back there with me for a moment to Luke chapter 4, when Jesus says there in verse 18 that he has been sent to preach deliverance to the captives. See, we tend to think of captivity in terms of being in a physical prison. And most of us think, well, I would figure a way out. I, I, would, I would come up with something. I would, I would get a file smuggled into me in something, and I would saw my way out. I would dig a tunnel. I would, I would find some way to be uh, set free from that prison. I'm reading a book right now about British pilots in Germany in World War I that were taken as POWs and were incessantly breaking out of the prison camps that they were put in. And most of us think, I would, I would definitely, if I was really in captivity, I would get myself out of it. And that's how men think. They think about sin in this way. They think, well, you know, if it ever got really bad enough, like, you know, my, my, my consuming of alcohol or my use of drugs or these sorts of things. I mean, I have them all under control, but if it ever got out of control, it's no problem. I could just stop at any time. I'm not really beholden to it. I could just walk away from it. And this is, this is what they don't recognize, that the captivity that we are in because of sin is a hopeless captivity. It is a prison that we cannot escape because it's a prison of our own making. We've put ourselves in that prison and somehow we think that we can get ourselves out. But when Jesus came to preach deliverance to the captives, he came to address hopeless people who desperately needed to hear good news that there was hope. So we see the nature of man's captivity. But what is the need in man's captivity? What is it that men need who are taken captive by Satan at his will? You say, I, I know, we need, we need such and such a program, or we need this, this kind of a thing in our society. That, we need more education. I, we need more money. That is going to help. No, here's what we need. Here's what Jesus came to do. He came to preach deliverance Amen. to those who are in captivity. The word preach means to proclaim. It means to publish or to spread abroad. And the very first thing that you and I need in our captivity is we need the truth. 
Remember what I showed you in John chapter 8? The captivity that we are experiencing is a captivity of lies. It's a prison that is built all around us of the lies that we have believed. And what is it that shatters those lies? It's the truth. That's why Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, what Jesus came to do was he came to declare that so much of what we live for and so much of what motivates our life energy is all a lie. And we need to choose to live according to the truth. When Jesus came to preach deliverance, he came to preach to people who didn't even know that they were in bondage. So the first thing that he had to do was help them to see the bondage that they were in. This is one of the greatest struggles that we deal with even today in preaching the gospel. The average person that we, that we speak to really feels as if they have no need for the gospel. In fact, in many people's minds, because we live in a country that is quite wealthy and most people have many things of this world, they regard the gospel as something like, well, it's the gospel for the poor. And they're thinking the poor materially. The people who, who have less of the things of this world. The people who, you know, they, they probably need a crutch. They need something to help them. They're, they're probably a little discouraged, but not me. I mean, I've got my life all figured out. So one of the first things that Jesus had to do is convince people that they actually had a need. And this is what we deal with today. Many people don't really think that they're in captivity. You and I need the truth. We desperately need the truth known so that the truth can set us free. But naturally, you and I are most at home with the lies of Satan. Just like Adam and Eve. Have you ever thought of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? I mean, just for a moment, think about this. They're walking around in the garden, and they're enjoying all that God has made. They're accustomed to fellowshipping with God every evening walking with him. Can you imagine the things they must have heard from God himself? And then they're walking around in the garden and along comes this serpent. And the serpent speaks to Eve and begins talking to her about eating the fruit which God has forbidden them to eat. And at some point in the conversation, Eve and then Adam decided, I think we're going to believe the serpent. And ignore God. Doesn't that sound like insanity to you? Why why would you choose to believe the serpent instead of God? Well, the reason is because the serpent was quite convincing. The serpent convinced them that God did not have their best interest at heart. Before you're too hard on Adam and Eve, remember that you and I are just like them. And we often believe the lies of Satan in our life. That's why we need the truth. That's why Jesus came declaring the truth. And it is the truth that sets people free. If you were in prison, what you would need to let you out is a key. A key that would turn the lock. A key that would release you from your shackles. The key that God has given to us is the truth. Never be ashamed for declaring the truth in a world that is becoming more and more confused. We need the truth. 
We desperately need for the truth to be proclaimed. Not only do we need the truth if we're going to be set free, we also need some supernatural power. And, and this supernatural power is closely connected to the truth. But remember that you and I are not capable of setting ourselves free from our captivity of sin. That's why in Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. You see, it is the power, it is the dunamis, it is the dynamite power of God to move us from captivity to true liberty in Christ. We're not going to be seeing people saved by clever ideas or slick presentations multimedia. That's not what's going to make the difference in people's lives. What is going to make a change in their life is the power of God. That's what we need is the power of God to be present in our life and in the lives of those that we seek to minister to. So in order for people to be set free from captivity, we need the truth and we need supernatural power. But third of all, we need forgiveness and redemption. And you're there in Luke 4, verse 18, when he says that he came to preach deliverance to the captives. The word deliverance is very interesting. It means, and the idea of that word is forgiveness and pardon. And what I want you to understand is, here we are in captivity, in jail, if you will. And the reason we're in jail is because we deserve it. It's because we've put ourselves there. It's because we've chosen to walk contrary to God. So we don't just need to find a, a, an easy way to break out of prison and go back to our life and get away, from, get away from the consequences of our sin. What we need is forgiveness. What we need is redemption. What we need is to be able to walk out the front door of the jail as free men. Because the price has been paid. This is what Jesus came to preach. He came to preach deliverance, forgiveness. You say, now how would this forgiveness, how would this redemption be offered or how would it take place? Well, he would offer it. Because later, after reading this, a couple years after this, Jesus would be put on a cross illegally and unfairly charged with crimes that he didn't commit. He would be put on a cross where he would suffer physically for something that he had not done, but he would suffer spiritually for sins that he had not committed. Those sins would be your sins and my sins. Because on the cross, Jesus not only suffered physically, he also suffered the rejection of God the Father. He suffered the wrath of God the Father, poured out upon His person the wrath that you and I deserved. He willingly took it upon Himself. Why did He do that? So that it could be true what He prayed from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We were caught in a prison that we couldn't get out of. We couldn't have paid the penalty. We couldn't have paid or posted bail to get out. We were guilty. But what did he do? He died in our place. 
His shed blood provided a covering for our sins. He willingly took the wrath of God the Father upon Himself so that we would not have to suffer that wrath. And because of that, Jesus could preach deliverance to those who are in captivity. Because what we need to be set free from our captivity is forgiveness and redemption. In other words, we have to be willing to come to Him in humility, admitting that the prison we are in is a prison of our own making and only He can deliver us. We have to willingly accept His prescription for our sin and turn to Christ as the only one who can save. And this is what Jesus came to preach. It's a message which many people don't appreciate because, again, they don't even realize the desperate place that they find themselves. Now, this is the nature of our captivity and the need in our captivity, but I want you to consider an example of how this played out in Jesus' ministry. Are you still in the book of Luke? Turn over to Luke chapter 8, because there's a very interesting encounter that Jesus had with a man that I think epitomizes what Jesus came to do. We know him not by his name, but by the label that was given to him before he met Christ. We call him today the maniac of Gadara. But he wasn't actually a maniac after he met Jesus, was he? Something happened in his life. He was a maniac before he met Jesus. Luke 8 describes it. Beginning in verse 26, Jesus came to the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man. By the way, when it addresses him as a certain man, that means that God knew his name. God knew exactly who he was and where he was and what his need was. And Jesus came looking for him. This certain man, which had devils long time and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. His condition was quite desperate. This was a man who was filled with demonic forces. And these demonic forces controlled him to the place that society was embarrassed by him. Society didn't know what to do with him. Their answer, because they couldn't even restrain him really, we find if we continue reading that they would try to tie him up with chains to keep him from hurting himself and others, and he would just break the chains. You say, how could a man do that? It was demonic power that allowed him to do that. And he would break those chains. We're also told that because of his condition, they, they shunned him, they pushed him out of society, and he lived out in the tombs out in the place where people were buried and he ran around with no clothes on and he cut his body with stones and he screamed and cried and everybody thought stay away from that guy I mean that's a guy that you don't want to run into that's your original idea of not going into the cemetery after dark be afraid of running into this guy this guy had great physical power really it was a spiritual power But what we find about this man is that he was powerless. Powerless to break the spiritual bonds that held him. He was in a hopeless condition. His life was a complete wreck. We could imagine that he had lost everything. 
I doubt if his family ever wanted to see him or visit him because they didn't know what to do with him. People in society wanted him to stay far away. You can imagine that if he ever tried to come to town, they tried to push him away. Get out of here. We don't know what to do with you. But when Jesus came to the country of the Gadarenes, he went right to where that guy was. And the Bible says that this man met him. He came right to Jesus. They had an appointment. And in verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. And and what is happening is it's actually not even this man that is talking. It's the demons that are inside of him addressing the eternal Son of God, recognizing who he is and his incredible power. And we find that Jesus spoke to those demons in verse 29, and he commanded those demons to come out of him. In verse 30, Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. Can you imagine the state of this man? And so then Jesus cast these demons out. And you know the story, how the demons went out of this man and into a herd of pigs that was close by and drove those pigs off the edge of the cliff to their death. But I want you to see something there in verse number 34. It says, When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. So they went in to tell everybody the news. And you would think, this is good news. Then they went out to see what was done. So all these people come out of the city and they come to Jesus and they found the man out of whom the devils were departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid because they knew what this man was before he met Jesus. And they saw what he was after Jesus had intersected with his path and they were afraid The conclusion of that was that they begged Jesus to leave as soon as possible. Get out of our country. We don't want you around here. That doesn't make any sense to me. You would think that they would have been thrilled that Jesus delivered this man, but this was not the case. But what I want you to see is here is a man who was in bondage, spiritually speaking. He had no hope of delivery, but one encounter with Jesus set him completely free. His life was set back on the right path. All of a sudden, when they come to find him, here he is, he's sitting, listening to Jesus. He has clothes on again. He's in his right mind. Everything is working. They're they're saying, wow, something happened. What happened is Jesus came to preach deliverance to a captive. And here's a man whose life was changed. I'm telling you this morning, I've met countless people whose lives have been changed by the power of the gospel. People who were in bondage to all sorts of sin, and when they met Jesus, the chains of their bondage to that sin was broken. They were set free. They were given the opportunity to walk with God and have relationship with Him. I don't mean to suggest this morning that they never struggled with any sin ever again after that. That's not what I'm saying But it was dramatic, the change that took place in their life. And then the continuum 
of their life was continuing to walk with God and continuing to be set free from sin as God worked in their lives. Because this is what Jesus came to do. Jesus did not come to leave us in our sins. He came to preach deliverance to those who are in captivity. Could you imagine what would have happened to this man if Jesus had never come on this day? Could you imagine, well, I guess his life would have just continued on the way that it was until he completely self-destructed and went out into eternity apart from Christ and God? That would have been his end. But see, Jesus came into his life. Jesus intersected with his path, and Jesus made all the difference. You say, why did Jesus come into this world? Because this world is filled with people who are captive to sin. And Jesus came to deliver people from their captivity. This morning, we are given the privilege of continuing this task that Jesus started, preaching deliverance to those who are captive. There's captives all around us, people who are trapped in sin, people who, because of their believing the lies of Satan, have allowed the chains of sin and addiction to sin to form all around them to the point that they no longer know how to function apart from their choices of sin. And we might look at someone like that and say, is there any hope? What could happen? How... Is there, is, there any, is there any anticipation that they could ever be different? Yes. Because the same gospel that changed the life of that man who was a maniac in Gadara is just as powerful today to save and to deliver people from their captivity. This morning, if you came looking for some hope, there's hope. That hope is not found in this preacher. And it's not found in this church. But that hope is found in Jesus Christ, the one who came to preach deliverance to those who are captives.